Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to your week four episode of Please Bet on Football Games. I am Joe, your host at BMADFTS, the keeper of the real, and to borrow from Kanye West, Nah, 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 Twitter can't tell me nothing, right? This is my co-host, Alex, at <laughs> I underscore like underscore sports six. How's it going, Joe? I uh, I like the Kanye reference. I know uh, Baker was dropping him in a little bit after this week, too. But uh, it was it was a good week in general, huh, man? That was That was just nice. It really, you know, there were a few that we had to sweat out there, but... Man, I feel I feel pretty good after that. A very prescient man on last week's podcast hoped that we would have a little bit more fuck you pay me and a little bit less I fucked up. And I think we're on track. Should we uh, should we go through our records this past week? Yeah, let's go ahead. You want to lead us off? Yeah, I'll start with the uh, the pod picks. I like to call them. The, we try to do five super contest style picks against the spread every week. You know, at the present line, not getting creative, not parlaying, nothing like that. So we had seven different wagers. We won six of them with Seattle over Minnesota minus 1.5 being the stinker. That's good for up 5.51 units and an 85.71 win percentage. Yeah, I love to hear that. Yeah. And again, that's that's no parlays. That's no teasers. That is just. New Orleans over New England, money line and the spread. Cleveland over Chicago, spread. LA over Tampa, spread. Green Bay over San Fran, spread. Green Bay over San Fran, money line. And of course, Seattle over Minnesota, spread. That one failed us. But the other six, come on, you can't beat it. If you're betting every single bet that we give out on our pod picks and you're following our unit sizes, you're up 6.8 units on the season. And you've won 68.42% of your bets for a 52.33 ROI, which is absurd. You're richest, but I recognize. Yeah, it's been taken off, man. Obviously, week two, we lost a little bit. Uh, week one, didn't make a ton, but got the got the train rolling this last week and definitely came out well. Honestly, I wasn't even that upset with Seattle not working because everything else was looking so good. Even though we had later numbers, I was kind of like, you know what? If Seattle's the only one we missed, I feel good about these later ones more so than the early ones. So I was like, I feel, I feel like we're uh, we're in a pretty good, pretty good trip. Obviously, Baltimore hitting that sixty-six yarder helped out a little bit for both of us personally. But as far as the pod picks, man, it was it was easy going. So Alex, how did you do personally this week? All right. So personally, I uh, I came out up three point two units um i won 66.7 percent of my bets and that's including a uh, seven team money line parlay that seattle is the only one i missed on it but we'll try again next week um as far as the individual bets i had new orleans at spread for one unit green bay money line for half a unit green bay spread for a unit then seattle for one unit so I was up pretty good with those ones then I ended up betting on Dallas straight up last night on the spread that one hit and then I had three parlays that were Arizona Baltimore Denver for one Arizona Cleveland the Rams for another and then Seattle and the Rams at plus three and a half that obviously did not hit with Seattle but I hit all but uh the ones involving uh the Seahawks and it came out pretty good for me 
Yeah, I gotta say I had an okay week as well. I uh I came out up seven thousand seven hundred and sixty dollars and seven very important cents. Uh, I won seventy seven point eight percent of my bets. They're all on Twitter, very readily available. But generally, just New Orleans over New England, love it. Baltimore and Arizona parlayed. Cleveland, Baltimore and Arizona parlayed. Denver and Oakland parlayed. The Rams, my hometown LA Rams, over the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, those motherfucking Seahawks, they lost me a grand and a half. And then three grand on Green Bay over San Fran and a grand and a half on Dallas over Philly. Pretty, uh, if I could do that every week, I'd be all right. And I would also quit my job. Yeah, same here. If, uh, if we were turning out numbers like that every week, we uh, we wouldn't have to do much else besides this. <laughs> Just watch football. What a life. But uh, when, when we do this well, first of all, I'm going to be fucking insufferable. I'm going to sing Kanye West mashup covers. And we're going to have a real long ex- edition of Fuck You, Pay Me. Fuck you, pay me. Definitely. This is a, that's a very good week to have this and probably going to stretch a little bit longer than uh, most other weeks. But you want to go ahead and start us off, Joe? What's the first one you want to talk about? Uh, just generally everything and everyone. Everyone pay us for fucking everything because we hit goddamn near everything. And it's not just like we won these bets. Almost all these bets played out exactly the way we said they would. Um. I want to start with Justin Fields because I really like him. I really like Justin Fields. Yeah, big Justin, fan of him. Justin Fields makes me feel crazier than any woman ever could because I swear to God it's deja vu. It's the Mitch Trubisky experience all over again, and I'm the idiot because I freak out at Chicago fans online saying, how can you guys not see that this is Mitch Trubisky? Like down to the fucking atom, down to the fucking nucleus, this is Mitch Trubisky. How do you not see it happening again right in front of you? And you're reacting the exact same way. And then I, in hilariously ironic fashion, get frustrated with them the exact same way I got frustrated with them over Mitch Trubisky. So So who's the real idiot here, Joe? Well, the real idiot is Justin Fields, because I've never seen anybody take so long to make such a simple decision. And I've been on dates where we can't figure out where we want to eat. This man, he got sacked, what, nine times? That's number, yes. Yeah, it's not great. But you know what's really bad? Is that four of those were specifically because Justin Fields, despite the design of the play, wanted to hang on to the ball an extra two seconds. He was late on almost every read. He was scared in the pocket. He hesitated for no reason. He was waiting for receivers to come wide open instead of just being NFL regular open. And all this shit is stuff that we saw in college. It's, it's right out of my scouting report from him at Ohio State. It is incredible. I, I did a fun little exercise earlier today where I sent Alex my scouting report from Justin Fields versus Northwestern 2020. And I said, read this and tell me if I'm talking about the Northwestern game from last year or the Cleveland game from a few days ago. Because he was late to make reads. He was slow to process in the pocket. He holds on to the ball too long. He's not very precise with his accuracy. I legitimately don't think he's ready to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as harsh on him as you are because I think he is in a in a worse situation than Trubisky ever saw um, with this offensive line, um, the, some of the injuries they've had. I think Nagy is coaching scared. 
And so he's not in a great situation. He was under pressure a lot, but you're a hundred percent right in that he not only didn't help himself, but he actively made things worse by holding onto the ball and being indecisive there. You know, we, we've sent a few videos back and forth of some of the sacks he took or just plays that he missed where he had guys open, but he was just a half second late pulling the trigger. And that either then the window closed and he didn't throw it at all, or he made a throw that then got broken up because he's just a little late. And it's exactly what we've talked about. You know, you had in your scouting report and that we we've gone back and forth over since last season of he has all of the tools. He has a cannon. He's big. He's strong. He can run. He can do everything physically, but right now he just is not there mentally, whether it's a confidence thing or he doesn't know what he should be looking at. There's something that's not clicking that he just doesn't trust what he's seeing or doesn't know what he's seeing, whatever it is. So he's holding on to the ball too long and he's not making plays, um, you know, that catch it, throw it, make one read and make a decision. He's making a read and then making no decision right now. And, you know, that's kind of what we expected of him coming out and why we said he shouldn't play. If you have any hope for me, he needs to take him home's route and sit for a year and literally just watch tape and learn what what he needs to look at. But, yeah, right now he can't play. Yeah, it's I, w- I will admit as as much as I am a Matt Nagy defender, it wasn't a great position to put. Justin Fields into on Sunday just because it was super West Coast, which requires a quick release and fast decisions. And Justin Fields' biggest weakness are slow decisions and hesitating on his release. So not great. I understand what Nagy's trying to do, thinking I'll give him quick, defined plays, get the ball out of his hands, you know, don't let him think and turn the ball over. But you almost have to just, if you're going to play him, which you should not ever you almost have to just give him the rope to hang himself with because yes, he's going to throw interceptable balls, but otherwise you get yesterday where he was inaccurate on 13 passes aside from the interceptable ball that he threw. And he only completed six gimme throws, like 67.74% of his plays yesterday or Sunday were negative. He was accurate on 39% of his aimed passes. You can't take a player that is this imprecise, this inconsistent, this problematic, and then try to rely upon consistency and winning quick. The only hope you have is to try to make use of his explosive traits, such as his great speed and his cannon of an arm, and just go deep because he's not going to hit the short ones anyway. Yeah, my only worry would be, that if you say, all right, Justin, open it up, chuck the ball, he's going to throw a lot of picks and you might ruin his confidence. Like it's obvious already a little shaky. And if then you go, Hey, go be you. And he s- struggles even more. You might, you might really mess with his head, especially if then you sit him down for the last half of the year. So his last memory is, you know, throwing three picks. Cause that's what the jets have done with Zach Wilson, where they said, all right, throw it. And he's thrown what six picks already. Yeah. And in the end, I always come back to this because I say, well, in that case, you're basically just waiting for the next coach to hope that they can rescue Justin Fields, which spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. Andy Reid could coach Justin Fields. It's not going to look too good because Justin Fields is a broken level, stupid quarterback. However, I can't feel bad for Matt Nagy 
he chose to get fired when he decided he wanted Justin Fields. Period. End of story. If Matt Nagy would have said, no, Justin Fields is too dumb to run my offense, and he just rolled with Andy Dalton for this year and waited for a quarterback next year, maybe I feel bad for him if he gets fired. But, dude, you chose this. Like, this is on you. So the Bears are fucked as long as Justin Fields plays, and I got a hard time believing Matt Nagy will be around in two years just because at some point Fields is going to have to play, and it's going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, I have I have hope that he could figure it out because he does have those tools. And, I mean, Josh Allen looked horrible initially. He was the same thing. His issue is more that he couldn't even throw accurately, though, on top of not being able to read defenses. And so Fields is in kind of that same realm right now. So it's not impossible. And I think if you do let him, you know, sit and mature and figure out how to read defenses, which, you know, is not just, oh, yeah, hey, go sit for a year and then you'll know how to dice up a defense. So it is a, a big ask. And it took you know, Josh Allen till his third year, really, till he could do anything consistently. So, yeah, your hope is that he matures and he just needs some time. But, yeah, it doesn't look good right now. And it's going to be next year before you have any hope of him being a viable quarterback. You know, it, it's funny because the knock on Justin Fields is that the guy needs a ton of refinement mentally, right? Like he just doesn't have it up in his head and that's why he will fail. And I'm, I, I've already put my tombstone up on Justin Fields will be a bust hill. It's up there. I will die on this hill. I will be buried on this hill. I will be happy to do it. But on the other hand, you got a quarterback like Mac Jones, who was supposed to have all of the mental abilities down pat. He was supposed to come in polished, ready to run your very basic offense like Andy Dalton. And yes, he's got a weak arm. And no, he never faced pressure at Alabama. But at least, you know, his brain's right. Uh, Sunday, Sunday gave us reason to believe maybe not. Did you watch this game? Uh, So I didn't watch this game on my main TV. I kind of just watched bits and pieces, saw highlights. I saw, you know, the the pick six for him was bad luck. But yeah, Pretty much nothing else I saw looked good at all. It it looked actively bad, honestly. But I, will, I didn't watch him too too intense. So you'll have to fill fill me in. So I will agree with you that his pick six was kind of bad luck. You want to hear something great? He had three other pickable balls that were totally his fault. One of which was dropped. It was bad. Now. Some Patriots fans have argued with me on Twitter saying it's not fair for me to call Mac Jones's performance worse than Justin Fields. I say shit. Germans say shite. It's not good. So Mac Jones had 49 gradable dropbacks, right? He had 21 bad throws and three pickable ones, along with five sacks and negative runs that were squarely his fault. Is that good? Uh, in my experience, no, it is not. I've seen a lot of Browns quarterbacks put in stat lines like that, and uh, they were never ones I felt good about moving forward. 52.73% of his plays were negative, bad, like inaccurate, turnover-worthy, losing yards on a sack or a bad run. Bump, well, he didn't fumble, but a fumble would be a negative play. You get my drift. It was fucking all – every time Mac Jones and Justin Fields dropped back on Sunday – it was more likely that they were going to do something to actively hurt their team than it was that they would do something completely average. Also, Mac Jones, who was ballyhooed for his accuracy, 51% of his passes were accurate. And these are just aimed passes. I'm not counting spikes or throwaways or nothing like that. Just 
aimed passes 51% accurate with a whopping total of five positive throws. Good for 11%. Yeah, and I can't imagine too many of those throws where deep shots or, you know, tough tough holes he's fitting balls into. If, uh, if their offense was anything like the highlights I saw or like I've seen the previous couple weeks, was it a lot of short passes and he couldn't even get that done? Just all dinks and dunks. And granted, when this game started to get out of hand, they stopped running the ball as much. They stopped throwing screens as much and they tried to let him go downfield. And coming out, I said, you know, I don't really, I don't like his arm strength at all. I think his accuracy is a little bit overrated. I've never seen him handle pressure before. And the one time he tried, he looked awful against Auburn in 2019. But at least his deep ball is extremely accurate when he throws it. I mean, it doesn't go too far, but to the extent it goes, it goes right. He had two deep balls where on one, it was in Keel Harry. And on another, I want to say it was Kendrick Bourne just streaking deep and like, you know, a good three steps on the DB out of bounds ball went out of bounds just, and granted they were the farthest deep balls. I think I've ever seen Mac Jones throw the one to Harry was, I want to say, Oh, you know what? Actually it might be Nelson Aguilar. Cause I think Harry might've changed his number. Whoever's number 15 on the Patriots. I don't know anymore. I don't fucking care. They had two steps on the DB on a streak down the left sideline. Mac Jones put it out of bounds, but it was the farthest I've ever seen Mac Jones throw at a whopping 49 yards. I'm not joking. Yeah, and this is where, like, it's hard to even figure out who played worse. I know you were trying – you were saying Mac played worse because you have higher expectations for his accuracy and it wasn't his first game. And also, they they gave him so many opportunities to do anything positive, and he continually did things negative and turned the ball over. Yeah, it was uh, was not a great game for him, huh? And yeah, again, I can't I can't say it was definitively worse than Fields, just because Fields is in a bad position. But they got one yard, which is just hysterical that that happens in the NFL at all, let alone today's NFL. I can't believe it. There's no better number of yards that Fields could have gotten either. It's his jersey number. It's the only number you would never imagine. You could see zero yards because it's just some incompletions. You could see like a handful of yards because shit gets weird. One yard. Yeah, it is perfect. You know, it, it just the way the sack yards lined up, because I think there was they had 68 passing yards and 67 yards lost on sacks. Yep. Which is also a crazy number. In fact, there were sacks that he was sacked nine times is insane. And, you know, part of that is the the Bears O-line. Part of that is Fields holding on to the ball too long. Part of that is also the Browns D-line played great. And I think Joe Woods actually had a really good game plan of lining up wide, not letting Fields move. And then they have enough talent between Miles Garrett, Clowney, Malik McDowell, and Malik Jackson. Give Tack McKinley his flowers. He played well. Tack when he when he just has to go try and run around dudes and he's not a keyed person he can go make some stuff happen he's had a good amount of pressures I know he's had a really high uh win rate percentage so that deep that d line when they play well and they click they're really good so part of it too is just that they they kind of got hit by the Browns coming out party a little bit and that's the best the Browns defense will probably ever play from you know not only the the bears weaknesses but just from their own execution that was we'll never see that again so it's a tough spot for them too but yeah the between mac and fields it was a very bad week um the predictions 
you especially have been making came true that they both looked horrible and turned in all-time bad performances and saw their team lose by a decided margin. But with that said, we uh, we didn't hit everything this week, and we did have a couple snafus. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say I fucked up, I fucked up. So you want to take us into our first one that we've already talked about a little bit, but those darn Seattle Seahawks and their inability to beat two high safeties. You fucking said it all, man. It's It's so fucking absurd. Russell Wilson gets so much shine, I swear to God. And it's so – it's one of those things where I know it. I know all you have to do to beat Russell Wilson is take away the deep ball. I know that. It's in my head. I said it. I know it. But it doesn't make sense to me that this guy that so many people believe is beyond elite, MVP caliber, going to go in the Hall of Fame one day. People believe that this dude is on par with, like, a Tom Brady. And he can't do anything. like. At all, if you take away his deep ball, all you got to do is play some cover two deep high. Yeah, and it's wild because this is exactly what happened last year. Where you remember they came out on fire, they were putting up crazy numbers, and then halfway through the year, they just fell off a cliff. And it was because everyone started playing two high safeties against them, and they couldn't get those giant deep balls with DK and Lockett or incredible deep ball receivers. So it makes sense why they do that. But as soon as you took away those streaks and covered up the the high shots, they're not able to figure it out. And, you know, last week, both Lockett and DK got banged up. So that hurts you and makes it tougher. But, I mean, we saw Joe Burrow put up a ton of points on this team. Uh, We saw the Cardinals put up a ton of points on this team. And the Cardinals make more sense. But you still expect the Seahawks to put up more than, what, 21? The thing that really puzzles me, too, is if, okay, part of our handicap on this game was going to be that Seattle's got these two really fast receivers who run great streaks, and Russell Wilson is amazing with that moon ball. So you would figure they would be able to just manhandle these, these slow, old corners for Minnesota who are not good. But... Part of that is that you assume Seattle will know that they have this fastball in their back pocket and they will try to work in their breaking ball. They will try to hit some RPOs, some slants. They'll try to get the ball in space. They can't, they didn't because they can't. Because as soon as they, they have two moves, it is halfback stretch. They try to run right between the tackle and the guard on a pole. Or if that if they're not doing that, they're trying to throw deep. Just to fucking streak to one of their two receivers. And if neither of those plays works... They're not moving the ball. I, it's just that simple. There's really not much else to say other than I thought that Russell Wilson could execute an NFL offense, and it turns out he is a streak merchant, and that is it. And if you take that away, he is nothing. Yeah, and I looked up. They actually only scored 17. If I remember correctly, I think they scored those 17, like, on their first four series, three they series. Did. I felt so good about this bet early, and then, and then it fucking turned into shit in my hand. Yep. They, they just could not move the ball whatsoever. And, you know, we talk about them being a streaky team as well, which is why we typically don't bet on them and that you never really know what you're going to get from week to week. But, yeah, no, they, they completely fell apart when, you know, they had the, the wide receivers get a little banged up and Minnesota adapted and Seattle could not. And that sank our bet was the, the only real – the only loser we really had. So – Moving forward, it's probably just back to we 
keep avoiding the Seahawks unless we find a really good number on them, but they're just hard to trust because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. All right. You want to go on to uh, the next fucked up? Yeah, I fucked up because I've been telling everybody. So starting in July, I started telling everybody to bet on the Saints over the Packers week one. That was great. That was lovely. Big, big win. But almost as soon as I started talking about that, I also started talking about how we need to bet the Saints beating the Patriots at any line given, but especially at plus three, I was going to put five grand on it. I was going to put five units on this game. And I fucked up because I watched week two and I got scared because I saw a Saints team with nine of their coaches missing, uh, inflict many unforced errors and wounds on themselves. And I got scared. So I only bet two grand. I bet two units. And our week was so fucking good that one of the worst things I can say about our week was I didn't bet enough on some of the games I knew were lock solid. Yeah, that's another one that I look back is I pretty much made one unit bets on everything because uh, I did have Green Bay and New Orleans as our, our top two. And I bet the most on Green Bay. But New Orleans, I got scared by week two as well, man. I We talked about it, we loved New Orleans and we didn't like New England coming into the year. And the numbers stayed really good for us. But I was the same thing. I was scared by uh, Jameis struggling. I mean, he still didn't look great, but he looked better and passable and they got some lucky breaks. And apparently having all your coaches makes a difference. So I didn't bet enough on him either, but it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good week when the, the second biggest gripe was we didn't bet enough money. You want to hear some crazy shit? Always. Jameis didn't even play well. I, I charted this game for him because I was already charting Mac Jones and accurate on 73 and a half percent of his passes, 20% positive plays, 40% negative plays. Like he got away with a ball where he did a fucking pirouette, threw it off of half of his ass and got a touchdown. Could have been a pick. Could have been a pick. I mean, it was, I graded it as bad because at least there was one-on-one coverage. So like it's a 50-50 ball to a possession receiver. I give you the benefit of the doubt. That's just a bad throw. But that was a touchdown. He got a touchdown on a bad throw. Anytime that happens, you're a little lucky. And it was still not even fucking close. So we fucked up. We should have bet our entire, we should have gotten mortgages on houses that we don't own and then bet them. We should have. We, uh, but luckily I'll take that problem. And so it's a good problem to have. And with that, do you want to go move into our next segment of gas and fade? Seems like we got some good ones moving forward. Yeah, a lot of moving and shaking going on. I mean, week three, now that we got the 17-week season, it's kind of a decent time to break it up because four is no longer that clean 25%, right? So three, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, First team that I want to bet on, let's start with Denver. I've been seeing a lot of people say, oh, did you know that the combined win-loss record of Denver's opponents is 0-9? Yeah, it's true. And you know what else is true? If you skull fuck all three of your winless opponents, you're still as good as I thought you were coming in. And coming in, I thought you were pretty fucking good. And honestly, Teddy Bridgewater's impressed me because he doesn't look quite as impotent as I thought he would. Yeah, I mean, we keep talking about it, but Teddy's been aggressive. I mean, especially relative to Teddy. But he's not just playing that 15-yard game. And he's taken some shots, and their offense is looking good because of it. I do worry a little bit that, you know, they really haven't played anyone I do love that they've decidedly beat all of those teams. They were never really in question. And 
so I am encouraged by that. And we like the team coming in that defense is elite. And if Teddy is being aggressive, I like that offense a lot. So I agree with you. We gas him. I'm not ready to, you know, fully put the, put the foot down, but this week will be very telling because if they can look good and beat Baltimore, then we know they're hundred percent for real. And we're going to be putting a lot of money on them. Hopefully the, uh, the market doesn't catch up to us as much, but they're a team that I like. If, especially with the offense moving the way it is right now. And obviously they'll look a little worse once they play real teams, but I like them a lot moving forward. Yeah. To the point of them not playing anybody, I want to address this very clearly. So everybody understands does Alabama usually play anybody in the first three weeks? Fuck no. And we never question them because they beat the shitty team soundly and no Denver is not the Alabama of the NFL, but they never let these three shitty teams even think they had a shot. It was clean. Beating bad teams clean is a good sign. Yeah, my my only worry moving forward is that they could end up, you know, a little bit like Baltimore is, where they beat up on bad teams, and then when they play good teams, they might fall apart a little bit. So I'm curious to see how that goes, but it's encouraging, and they're they're really, really beating up on these bad teams. I think there was a second where it was close with Jacksonville in week two. But other than that, it's been it's been clean. I'm excited to see him. All right. You keep on dangling the segue in front of my nose. So I'm going to take it. Speaking of Baltimore, put him on the fade list. Put him on the because they're supposed to just just run train on these bad teams. Right. Well, they played the Lions and they did not. I agree. I mean, obviously, they're they're so I think they're still spinning a little bit from the crazy amount of injuries they had coming in. But that game was bad. I mean, Lamar pulled out that fourth and teens to get him into space for the kick. Fourth and but, 19. Yeah, fourth and 19, which is great that it worked. And that was a, a crucial play from him. But the two plays before it and really the, the end of the game in general were not good by him. And the fact that they even needed that just goes to show that Baltimore's offense is really one dimensional right now. And if you can shut down their running, you're they're not they're not a team you really have to worry about. No, it's a big ass to shut down their running, but the defense hasn't looked as unstoppable as we maybe expected them to. And the offense is so one-dimensional that yeah, they're, they're not beating up on the bad teams. You know, they had that win against Kansas city. That was really nice, but it was a little fluky with that late fumble. And yeah, I just, I just don't trust them. I don't trust Lamar to throw and to consistently pull out these magic plays. So I agree. They're on the fade list and it works out well that we have a team on the gas list and a team on the fade list playing each other this week, kind of like New Orleans and New England last week. Imagine that. No, I. to your point, what would we be saying about Baltimore right now if they didn't? Like, what would we be saying about Baltimore right now if Kansas City didn't fumble the ball on their way to easily winning that game? They would be one and two. And we'd be saying this Kansas City team doesn't quite look right. And they still beat the Ravens. Mahomes threw a bad pick. They had a fumble. Their offense generally sputtered against Baltimore, and it shouldn't have. Baltimore threw two picks, but every time you ask Lamar to throw, that's what's going to happen. And Baltimore still won that game ever so slightly at home. I think both of those teams are a lot worse than we thought they were coming in. However, I think we have kind of a zigzag because I'm putting Kansas City on the gas line. Yeah, and I feel like this is just getting in early on, you know, their dip. It's buying low. And that, you know, Kansas City barely beat the Browns. 
and then lost to Baltimore with some bad turnovers and then lost to the Chargers with some bad turnovers. So their games have basically been if they play perfect and don't turn the ball over, they win. If they don't play perfect and they turn it over, they lose. Honestly, it's worse than that because, put simply, the Chiefs have not won a game in which the opposing team's punter has failed to give them a touchdown. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. like They're playing really good teams or good teams because the Browns, the Ravens, the Chargers is a brutal start. And if it was anyone but the Chiefs, we would be talking about like what a grinder to go through to kick off the year, especially when you have a brand new offensive line. Uh, So, you know, there's going to be some growing pains and these teams they've played are really good teams. So I agree with you that we should put them on the gas list because they're only going to go up from here. Yeah. And and like, yeah, they lost to the Chargers. Well, the Chargers are a good team. The Chargers have a great defensive coordinator. The Chargers were a little lucky to win that game. And it's not so much that I think Kansas City's good. I do. They're good. But it's just more so that I think people are going to be a little bit quick to jump on the fuck Kansas City bandwagon simply because they have been so annoying and so lucky for so many years. And people want to bury them as much as I want to bury them. I don't think it's prudent to just yet. And I think that we'll see a little bit of value on them in the coming week or two. Yeah, no, I agree with you. We we already saw you know the number move a little bit from what it was yesterday for Kansas City and Philly moving, but it's still a pretty low number if you think about Philly. And we'll get into this more, but Philly looked horrible last night, and Kansas City, you know, they've they've lost the last two games, but man, Philly and Kansas City should be a double digit spread, and so. Obviously, people are a little low on the Chiefs right now because they have lost two in a row and had some bad turnovers that have led to it. But they're still a top five team easily and are ready to go off and rip off 10 straight wins at any point. And Joe, we have one more team on the fade list. This was a a very exciting game from last week, but they weren't able to pull it off. The San Francisco 49ers, why you have them on the fade list moving forward? Okay, I never thought I would say this because I'm a diehard, not even Bears fan anymore, so much as just Packers hater. I fucking hate him. Dude, was that game fucking rigged against the Packers? I I swear to God. I know. I was so I was texting uh, one of my friends that's a Packers fan and he was sitting there and I was like, all right, like this one feels dirty rooting for the Packers. We're going back and forth. And some of those plays were happening where those calls that were just blatantly wrong. Like, like when Devontae Adams got speared in the face or where the 49ers were getting defensive pass interference called against the Packers for like generally being in the vicinity of a pass. Yeah, it was it was crazy. The the things that they were calling against the Packers, the standard was so low, whereas like any contact or whatever they're calling. Whereas then when the Packers are on offense, they're getting mauled or, you know, the, the head to head hit. And they're not calling anything. It was wild. So he's freaking out. I was like, you know what? Normally, I'm firmly in fuck the Packers. You guys get every call ever, but you're 100% right. You guys are getting screwed right now. It it was absolutely insane. And honestly, I think that's why we have to fade the 49ers. Because, okay, a few things. One, the 49ers turned the ball over at very inopportune times to the Packers by no fault of anybody other than Jimmy Garoppolo. And the, the Packers did not capitalize. They turned an interception right near the goal line. So the Packers are in the red zone as soon as they touch the ball. They turn that into zero points. 
Additionally, the 49ers were driving, and by the 49ers, I mean the Zebras were driving via yellow flags. And Garoppolo threw the ball backwards, fumbling, giving the ball back to the Packers, and they turned that into three points and no time off the clock. So right there, this those two mistakes from a quarterback, which are relatively predictable because they are quarterback mental errors, the game should be over. But it's not. And instead, the 49ers, with a lot of help from refs, at home, lead themselves on a bullshit touchdown drive to momentarily come close to almost covering the spread. But this game ended on an Aaron Rodgers. Well, it's funny because Rodgers was so fucking bad on the penultimate and third from last drives for the Packers. He was so bad on those two drives that it required a great final drive. And by a great final drive, I mean, he threw two good passes out of four. But the Packers won the game on a last second dramatic field goal. And everybody's going to be like, oh, the 49ers, they almost had the Packers and the Packers are for real. Can't really hold it against the 49ers. Yes, you fucking can. Because that game was a 10 point game any other day of the week. If it wasn't Sunday night football, that is a 10 point game. Yeah. And I think the, the fade's a little dependent on people not dropping the 49ers or even saying, hey, they played a really good game against the Packers and it, by some accounts should have won. So this is assuming people bet on them or, you know, like them after that. But I agree with you. They didn't really show me all that much. They still can't cover anyone. If they're not getting home with the rush, they're giving up yards. And the offense, you know, they they work really well with all that Shanahan motion and those weird routes with uh, use check and Kittle and everything. But it's not enough to overcome uh, Jimmy G and the mistakes that he makes just mentally or where he doesn't have the ability to put balls in places to bail himself out. So that defense isn't as fierce as they used to be. The offense is what it's always been, which is they're solid. They can generate some points, but if you need them to win you the game, they're not going to be able to. And that doesn't spell success moving forward, especially with you know the division they're in and some of the games they have coming up that are going to put them you know, in close games and give us good lines to, you know, work against them. All right. I think that about wraps up gas and fade, but you want to hear something fucking awesome. I think for the first time, I don't know if we'll keep this in, but I think for the first time I get to say, please bear with us for a short commercial break. All right, Joe, you want to jump into week four here? Let's do it. So on Thursday night, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars going to play the Bengals. The Bengals are minus seven and a half. Really jumping in feet first here. Um, I'm not fucking betting on this game. I'm not even fucking teasing this game. I'm doing nothing with this game. Because as bad as Jacksonville is, and it's bad, Cincinnati's not great. And I feel like they're getting a little bit of shine for beating a terrible Steelers team. They're getting a little bit of shine for a lucky win against Minnesota. I, If you told me Jacksonville wins this game, I'm not shocked. That said, I'm simply not betting on Jacksonville this year. Probably not the entire year. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would err towards Cincinnati because exactly what you said, I'm not betting on Jacksonville ever. Um, I think minus seven and a half is too big of a number for them because they're not that good. I would I wouldn't I don't know if I would even like this at six and a half and give me a touchdown because I don't trust Cincinnati. Like you said, that Pittsburgh game one, Ben is completely washed and two, they didn't have T.J. Watt or Alex Highsmith. They didn't they didn't have their two best pass rushers. 
and that's the identity of their defense. So if you give Burrow time, yeah, you're going to be able to pick on those corners, which is what they did. I mean, they got those big completions and touchdowns to Jamar Chase that broke the game open. And I don't think that's a thing that you can count on for any game moving forward. And yeah, exactly. They, they haven't impressed me. They've been fine. The O-line hasn't been as bad as I expected it to be. But they're still not a good team that I expect is going to have some stinkers. And the Joe Burrow is going to, you know, he'll be fine, but he's going to have games where he loses some games and their defense still isn't good. So, yeah, I don't like Cincinnati, even though this is Jacksonville and we have a number in the single digits. I'm not betting on the Bengals. Mega stay aways, Bill. Shall we move to Sundays? Definitely. So the first game we have on Sunday is the Carolina Panthers going to play the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are minus five. This is actually a very interesting game just because Carolina is a little bit overrated right now on account of their undefeated and they shouldn't really be undefeated because they played Houston on a short week with a rookie quarterback and Houston sucks. They played the Jets who fucking suck and it was way too close for comfort and they beat a Saints team that could not stop shooting themselves in the foot without 10 coaches. So none of these games really impressed me. Now they're going to Dallas to play. This might be their first road game. No, they played at Houston last week, but that doesn't count because Houston fucking sucks. So it's they're going to be their first real road game against a team with some fans and a team that's pretty good. Unfortunately, five is a terrible goddamn number. Otherwise, I think I'd be on Dallas as it stands. This feels like a live bet game. Do you have any angles? So I actually lean towards Carolina because that number is five. And I think both teams are overrated because the Eagles are horrible. This is true. So I don't really give Dallas much credit for showing everyone that the Eagles are horrible. So they're kind of in the same realm as Carolina to me and that they're a decent team. I think Dallas is better, but they're a decent team that has, you know, won their recent games and is getting overrated because of it and so when you get a bad number like five for Dallas it's a great number for Carolina but I probably do stay away from it just because even though I think Carolina's defense will give Dallas fits that Dallas offense is really good between all the playmakers they have the line is relatively healthy and playing well and Kellen Moore is a genius play caller so they're going to be able to score even against a good defense And while I think Joe Brady will give Carolina a good setup against a weaker Dallas defense, Dallas defense has actually looked a lot better this year than I expected them to. So I don't think they're going to be the sieve that they they were last year or we expected a bit of this year. So I expect Dallas to win. They're the better team. They're at home, but five's a bad number. I would like Carolina because I think it'll be a solid game, but because I do like Dallas, I probably end up staying away until live and hope that Carolina scores early and gets us a better number. See, I've got a Carolina team that's missing Christian McCaffrey. And as much as running backs don't matter, Christian McCaffrey is one of the very few exceptions to that rule, especially because of how often they feature him. Additionally, that defense has been real good, but they just lost their number one cornerback in J.C. Horn. Now they got C.J. Henderson for a song and a dance from Jacksonville. However, They just got him today on Tuesday. And I don't know if he's going to be totally ready by Sunday. To the extent he is, I feel like you you can pencil him in for at least one busted coverage. And while I like C.J. Henderson, I think they got a great value in him. And I still think he will be a good starting cornerback one day. 
he might need a little bit of time to wash the Jacksonville stink off of him. So I get Carolina with a significant limp. I get Dallas, who's being overvalued. It gets me thinking, let's let's see if we can find some value elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, you you kind of moved me off of Carolina that now I just want a better number with Dallas because, yeah, they they are really going to miss McCaffrey. Yeah, I think that's that's when we just hope uh, hope Carolina scores we can get a number on or tease them down, put them in a parlay or something. But with that said, you want to go to the next game? Let's do it. All right, we have the Cleveland Browns going to play the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are plus two. I goddamn love this game. I've already got two units on Cleveland minus two. Actually, I got a unit on Cleveland minus one, and then the line moved to two. I said, fuck it. I really got to get down now. I threw another unit. So I'm currently leveraged on Cleveland. I think this is a perfect a perfect scenario because people are forgetting the story coming out of Chicago or out of Cleveland last week against Chicago is, oh, Chicago's really fucked up. Their quarterback sucks and their coach sucks and they suck. I think the story should be Baker Mayfield had his worst game in – probably 10 weeks of football and it was still pretty good he left a good 14 points out there on the field and they still scored pretty easily on a very good Bears defense and don't look now but the Browns may have figured out how to play defense together Jadevian Clowney was a stud Miles Garrett is was the athletic freak we know him to be but more importantly than that because we know that that's pretty consistent this Browns defensive line is probably the best in football it's gonna do things I don't care about that J-O-K, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, or something close to that, played out of his mind. He's flying around the field, not only because he's so athletic, but he's he's seeing the game. He's reading the plays. And that is the thing that I thought was going to bite him. Is I thought he was going to overrun some things. I thought he was going to throw his body around and miss tackles. He looks he looks polished and sharp. And Yeah, I mean... I expect him to miss some tackles moving forward and he will get fooled because he's still a rookie. And I mean, we even saw in some of the, the earlier games where, you know, it's him getting worked in. And so this is him maturing, but he did already miss some coverages and make some bad reads in earlier game. So I'm not going to put too, too much stock into this game, but yeah, he looked fast. He was right on everything. He was blowing up plays timing stuff really well breaking up passes he was elite I mean I I know he won rookie of the week for PFF I think the NFL named him rookie of the week he had the highest linebacker score of anyone in the league by PFF he was a stud if he can play anything like that throughout the rest of the year the the face of that defense changes because you just have him going and chasing people down and really shutting down the middle of the field and the intermediate short and intermediate areas I was also very encouraged by the secondary because, dude, this is crazy to fucking say, but I think Denzel Ward was the worst defensive back that the Browns rolled out on Sunday. And Denzel Ward's really fucking good. So I'm very encouraged by what I saw from the Browns defense. They were running fairly simple zone concepts on defense primarily. It was a lot of cover three. It was a lot of cover six, which is basically just drop cover three. But I liked it. They kept everything in front of them. They made the tackles. They were breaking on balls. And if they can do that against Minnesota, who runs actually a pretty similar offense, basically Minnesota's offense is a hybrid between the Browns offense on in the run game and the Bears offense in the passing game. So it's going to be a lot of quick precision passes. It's going to be a lot of trying to get a curl or an in around that nine to 12 yard range. The Browns show that they know how to handle that. They show that not only are their players good at handling that, but their coach knows generally what to do 
coverage-wise against such routes. And the Browns don't need to sell out against the run because it is tough to run on this front. And the Vikings have a terrible offensive line. I really like that matchup. And if you can stop the Vikings' offense, you can beat the Vikings pretty easily. Because this defense, yeah, no, they they made a great move by opting for the high two shell, just taking away the deep ball from Russell Wilson. But you know what happens to your defense if you take away the deep ball from Baker Mayfield? You look up and they've scored 30 points with those 5 to 15 yard passes. Lots of play action, boot left, throw the flat to the tight end and get five yards after the catch. Just once again, Minnesota does not quite match up well. And even if they did, the Browns are a significantly better team in my book. Yeah, my my general worry about this game is just that the Browns seem to play to the competition that they're against. Whether it's a team that's better than them, they'll play up a little bit. If it's a team that's worse than them, they're going to play down a little bit. So I worry about them playing down to the Vikings. And we don't know if Greg Newsom's going to play. They're still waiting to hear back about his calf. And so then if it goes to Denzel and Greedy covering Justin Jefferson and Thielen, I get more scared about that defense and the ability to shut down uh, the Vikings offense, especially because last week they played great. They executed really well. But Justin Fields also left routes on the field that there were routes that were open that he didn't connect on that Kirk Cousins will because Kirk Cousins is smart and he knows where to go with the ball and he's going to take what you give him. So the Browns definitely are not going to put up anywhere near the defensive performance they did last week. And the offense is going to have to score They're You know, they're going to have to go score high twenties, mid twenties, probably. Luckily, I think they should be able to do that. You know, the Vikings defense is solid. They're, their linebackers are still really good and can kind of shut down the middle of the field a little bit. And they know how to play against that wide, wide zone run game. So it could give them a little bit of fits there. But just with the versatility of the playmakers from Kareem Hunt to David Njoku, Anthony Schwartz, OBJ, Rashard Higgins, DPJ, you have so many guys that you can get the ball to and stress every level of the field that if the Bengals were able to score on this defense, the Cardinals were able to score on this defense, the Browns definitely should be able to. And even if I worry about them playing down a little bit, since the numbers too, I feel a lot better about it because we only need a field goal. And I trust the Browns too, even if they get into a spot where they're in a close game and kind of have to play clock management, run it out. They're really good at that. That's their bread and butter. That's what they do in the fourth quarter of every close game. So I feel good about them. I'm maybe not as high just because I don't want to overreact to last week for the Browns and that defense. And the Minnesota offense is efficient. They they don't make too many mistakes and they'll take they'll take advantage. But at minus two, the Browns should definitely win this game. And that's a good number. So I like them. I right now have a unit on them already. I'll probably put more down uh, in the form of parlays or something on them, but don't want to over leverage too quick. Yeah, I currently already have $2,000 on Cleveland at minus two and minus one to win uh, $1,780. So I really love this game. It's one of those lines that looks so good and so juicy. I almost feel like I'm missing something. I'm tempted to put a third unit on it. I won't because that's just a great way to sign your own death certificate. But I see no, I see no reason to be legitimately scared. I love this game. This is my, probably my favorite game of the week. 
Yeah, my my only concern, this is probably just the damaged Browns fan in me, is that the Browns haven't played a complete game yet. They've, you know, whether it was the Chiefs, Texans, or the Bears, the the offense has either clicked and the defense hasn't, or vice versa. And I just worry about if they only put in a half of good football, Minnesota's good enough to take advantage and play a full game. Now, I don't worry about it too much because even though the Browns aren't playing their best game, they're winning and they're winning, you know, with a comfortable margin that I get a few a few hits of anxiety, but really never have to worry. Um, the Chiefs game, obviously, they kind of lost it and they barely lost it. And the Chiefs are a heck of a lot better than the Vikings are. So even if the Browns don't put together a full game, yeah, I still feel good about it. But that is my concern. Shall we? Let's next we have the Detroit Lions going to play the Chicago Bears. The Bears are minus three. So this game is difficult for me to handicap because if Andy Dalton is playing, I don't care if he's banged up. If Andy Dalton plays, period, I like the Bears. If Andy Dalton doesn't play, I cannot touch this game because I cannot under no circumstances can I do one of two things. One, bet on the Lions. No. Two, bet on Justin Fields. So this is one of those things where we get bitten in the ass by trying to put a pot out real early in the week for you guys. But if Andy Dalton plays, you best believe I'm going to put a unit down if the line stays three. I will update on Twitter. Stay tuned. But what else can I say right now? The Lions are probably a bottom three team in the NFL. Do not let the Ravens fool you. The Ravens had ample opportunity to take that game and run with it, win by a couple scores. But the Ravens are not good at passing the football, and the Ravens pass the football. Additionally, the Bears are extremely underrated right now. This line used to be Chicago minus six, and then we saw Justin Fields. So give me Andy Dalton, and I say this is a fucking lockdown slam dunk of a bet. Might bet two units. I don't I don't know what to do in the intermediary, though. I'm in the exact same boat. If Dalton plays, I'm betting on the Bears. If he doesn't play, I'm not going to bet on the game. Um, I, I don't trust Justin Fields in any manner. We've talked at length about it. I wouldn't trust Nick Foles if he plays either. And Dalton banged up, I like, especially against the Lions. But yeah, until we know that, you can't bet on this game. But I'll be doing the same thing and looking, paying attention to when they announce the starter and then going from there. Ready for the next game? Yeah, we might as well do it. All right, we have the Houston Texans going to play the Buffalo Bills. The line is minus 16 and a half. Oh boy, this is an NFL football game with a three-score spread. Um, okay, I, I mean, the best analysis I can give is that Davis Mills actually looked competent last week, and now he's got 10 days to get ready instead of three, so that's nice. Um, he's probably undervalued. I don't know that I give a shit with a 17-point spread. Um, I'll give my hot take. I think Davis Mills is the best of the rookie quarterbacks right now. And I don't think that means a goddamn thing because they're all really fucking bad. But that's all I got for this. What do you want me to say? Yeah, just Josh Allen struggled. He has. He's plenty good enough to score on Houston. Davis Mills looks great for a third round pick rookie quarterback. But um, the rest of his team sucks and he's still a third round pick rookie quarterback and they're playing a good team. <laughs> yeah, I I have nothing about this game. I'm not going to bet on it. That line is humongous. Buffalo, even if Josh Allen hasn't looked great, they've still put up a certain amount of points the last two weeks. Um, Josh Allen looked good last week on top of putting up good numbers. So this might be them hitting their stride and they're back to last year. 
and they could go run them and win by 30 points. 17, though, is a huge number, so it's not like I'm going to bet on the Bills. But I'm also, yeah, I'm not betting on the Texans. Davis Mills, yeah, you're probably right. Right now, he's probably the best rookie playing, but that doesn't mean anything. It just means that he's not actively horrible. And yeah, that Texans team is awful. They are actively horrible. The coach is bad. Even with the long break, they're a much worse team in every facet, and they're going to have a bad week. I, I hate to do this to our uh, our loyal listeners, but that that's all we got for that game, too. Maybe we can get some more in-depth analysis on the next one. All right. So this one, we have the Indianapolis Colts going to play the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins are minus one and a half. Well, it's a good thing I said maybe, because this game's tough, too. Um, okay, I will say this. I loved hearing all summer about how the Dolphins have one of the elite young coaches in Brian Flores. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, he's a fucking defensive coach that can't figure out an offense. He's on his third offensive coordinator in three years. They can't move the fucking ball. And he's pulling his rookie quarterback mid-game. I don't feel like he's that smart. Um, So far, my doubts have been proven prescient because Miami's coach like fucking shit. Their offensive line is a goddamn disaster, and it's not even necessarily their offensive lineman's fault. It, they have myriad issues, but chief among them is that their protections on their offensive line. Okay, I've touched on this before, but at this point, I can't imagine that all of these offensive linemen are this stupid. I have to imagine that their protections just aren't accounting for free rushers. I, they don't know what they're doing. They're leaving people unblocked, and when they get their hands on people, they're blocking pretty well, but they're just blocking the wrong people. So either the entire Miami Dolphins offensive line, impressively stupid, or that coaching staff is fucking terrible. And I'm going to say it's fucking terrible because they've shown me no reason to believe it's anything but fucking terrible. Additionally, while Jacoby Brissett looks like a great guy, has a ton of moxie, good leader, really wants it, uh, all the other things you can say about a white slot receiver, um, it's just not there. He doesn't have the skill. Meanwhile, Indianapolis, their offensive line has looked shakier than I expected. Carson Wentz is not consistent and definitely banged up. But Frank Reich is a good coach. It's tough. I lean Indianapolis, but this game is, these are two teams on the precipice of average. They're not quite there, but they're close. Yeah, I I was happy you said maybe about this game as well, because I was looking at it and like, yeah, I, I don't really want to bet on this one either. I actually probably lean Miami because Quentin Nelson's out for Indy and that's going to make things tougher for them on top of you know Wentz being banged up new not MVP Wentz so he's not going to be able to go create and save the team and the defense is looking better but they're still not elite Miami yeah I agree with you that offensive line is really hurting them and whether it's coaching or them something's not working and they're really holding back that offense I agree on Brissett He's a perfect backup, but if you have to play with him as your starter, you're in a tough spot, and I don't trust that team very much. I think both coaches are good. Reich, though, is an offensive coach, so just naturally I value that more because it's scoring points the name of the game. And Brian Flores, you're right, their offense, they haven't been able to figure it out, and they're in year three. Whether it's the quarterback, the line, the offensive coordinator, whatever it is, it's not working, and Flores hasn't been able to figure it out. The defense is still good, and I think Flores is great at all of the head coach 
organizational managerial duties, but he's not a guy that can get the offense going. So that is the thing I worry about, but I like their defense a little bit more and Miami is at least home. It's still early, early in the year that it's probably a little hot and that might, uh, might swing things that way. But yeah, I don't really have a, a great angle. And while I lean Miami, I'm not, I'm not locked in it either way. Coming off of our hot week three, we've got some scorching fucking takes in week four, huh? Yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a natural lull after after that much. Have to humble us a little bit. All right, I'll, I'll highlight this game as one we could come back to, just because I there seems to be some juice here. But let's see if we can find anything else. Yeah. With that said, we can go on to our next game: the Kansas City Chiefs going to play the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles are plus seven and a half. Here we go, a game I can actually handicap. Did you say seven and a half? Seven and a half. Okay, so that line has moved two points because it was six last night right before the game, and then everybody saw that Jalen Hurts, still a running back. Um, Seven and a half is less tasty, but amazing teaser-like. So at the least, we've got a drop-dead leg. It's being yeah, I'm said, in the same bubble. I, I had looked at them yesterday and saw it was six and a half and circled them as a definite seven and a half. I like it less and kind of mad I didn't bet yesterday now, but yeah, they're a prime tease option. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier and that people are a little lower on Kansas city and they probably should be because they've played three really tough games to start the year and have been bitten by some untimely turnovers. Now those turnovers, whether they keep happening or not, who knows, but the chance that they keep happening in the last drive of the game, the last two minutes of the fourth quarter are pretty low, at least in my opinion. So I already like Kansas City and then Philly. They're just a bad team. We've talked about it all year, especially now that Brandon Graham's out. That hurts their pass rush a ton. I mean, he's a, a, an emotional leader on top of being probably their best defensive player. So that's the huge. Yeah, I mean, but he's at least up there. Yeah whether you want to argue it's Fletcher Cox or whatever. This year it's been Hargraves. Yeah, he's been great as well. So that helps, but it's still an interior D lineman versus your your edge rusher that's been there forever and is kind of one of the heart and soul players of the team. So I think that hurts them a lot. And now if your defense isn't tip-top shape and Jalen Hurts is your quarterback with, especially now they're getting hit with some injury bug on the offensive line, they're not going to get better. Dylan Hurts is going to continue to show that he was a fun experiment for the Eagles, but he was the same guy that couldn't cut it as a passer in college. So I don't like the Eagles in general and like that we're getting Kansas City, a team that we just gassed at a relatively reasonable number. And yeah, they're going to get teased down, putting at least a couple of bets. Another thing that I really, really enjoy is that, well, let me put it this way instead. I have Philadelphia as a bottom five team. I also have Houston as a very similarly bottom five team. I have Kansas City as a top four team. I have Tampa Bay as a similarly rated team with a similar amount of inconsistency. If I had Tampa Bay versus Houston, you think the line would be fucking seven and a half? Absolutely not. No fucking way. So I think... I mean, even right this week, we have Buffalo against Houston at 17. Exactly. And while I think that there's value on the plus 17, and I would never bet it because I do not bet numbers that fucking big. No way. 
I, I think that there might even still be value on Kansas City minus seven and a half. And I, I'm going to keep it as a maybe for our super contest picks just because I don't think people realize yet just how terrible Philadelphia is. And it's yeah, not getting better. I mean, yeah, Dallas just wiped them. And, and yeah, Dallas you know, that's an away game. Yeah, and Dallas is a solid team. But Kansas City is a heck of a lot better than Dallas is. Here's the other thing. I don't do props, but I'll do this prop. Go in the find your Travis Kelsey over yards props. Philadelphia cannot fucking cover tight ends at all. They have no linebackers worth a goddamn. They have no safeties worth a goddamn. And their corners are going to be very preoccupied with Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, and God forbid Josh Gordon figures out the playbook. I don't know if Josh Gordon's any good anymore, but you have to respect him if he's on the field. I think Travis Kelsey is going to fucking eat. This will be a career day for him. So you, you know what? Let's see if we can find a line right now. All right, so I can't find Travis Kelsey's yardage prop this early in the week, but just judging by the last few weeks, it's going to be somewhere between 90 and 95. I think I bet over 95. He's going to fucking yeah. eat, dude. Yeah, that's a huge number. The only thing I would worry about is if they're up huge. They might not play Kelsey that much in the second half or the fourth quarter. So you might get some of those yards eaten into. True. And then you're just sitting there and he's stuck at 85 and he's just on the sideline watching them. But I mean, Alex Singleton is like the only linebacker worth mentioning, or at least as far as coverage. And he's not going to be able to do anything against Travis Kelsey. Their safeties aren't going to be able to do anything against Travis Kelsey. This is a, a, a comeback game for the Chiefs against a team that won't be able to cover their arguably their best offensive weapon. So, yeah, I like it. 95, 90 or 95 is a big number, but I probably like it at that. And I'm hoping we maybe we get something in the 80s. I kind of like your idea of Chiefs first half, depending on what you can get. Yeah, I mean, I think they're obviously with seven and a half, the back door is open on the game for the Eagles to cover and give us some bad beat. And you could tease it down. Or I just expect Kansas City to come out firing, and I could see them going up by three touchdowns going into halftime and then not really caring for the second half of, all right, let's get out of here. Nobody get hurt. We've won this game. And then the Eagles maybe chip back, and they're playing prevent, so Jalen can complete some passes, and he's running because he has the space with the soft, uh, the soft coverage and coming back. So I do like Kansas City in the first half. I worry a little bit about, you know, with Andy Reid, maybe they're going to come out a little slower depending on his health. But overall, I think, you know, they're pissed off. They lost two games in a row off of, you know, bad late turnovers. And now they're playing a much worse team that is undermanned too on defense. So they should be able to just crush them. To the extent that Andy Reid being gone is any kind of a problem, that problem will manifest itself more in the second half than the first half, right? Because yeah. Andy Reid's going to – Andy Reid could be in his fucking hospital bed right now shitting his pants. He's going to script the first 15 plays of the game. And that will get you through about the first quarter, at least the first drive. So if Andy Reid is going to be incapacitated to any extent, first half is a good angle. Right now on Bovada, you can get Chiefs minus four. You find minus three? Three and a half. Take it. There you go. Yeah, minus three and a half at minus 125 if you want to go up to minus four. You can get minus 115. Should we make this a bet? Should we make this a pod bet? Chiefs first half? Yeah, I like it. Let's go for it. All right. I'm going to write it down. All right. What do we got next? All right. Next game, we have the Tennessee Titans going to play the New York Jets. The Jets are plus eight. Sounds like another nice leg to me. 
as much as Tennessee is fucking unpredictable dog shit, they're going to be able to run. And if they can run, they will always win. I mean, do not trust Vable to get margin. So tease this fucker down. Money line, maybe minus one and a half. Nothing more than that. But there's a great leg and nothing more. Yeah, obviously, I'm not betting on them straight up. Just for the general, don't bet on the Titans. I even hesitate to use them as a leg because of that. And with eight, you're going to have to tease down so much or take it down to money line. Now them as part of like a three-team parlay, they'll probably sneak in for me. But yeah, I just hate Vrabel with any margin. Granted, you're right. They're going to be able to run like crazy. And even with a suspect defense, Zach Wilson is struggling right now. And I don't expect that to remedy in a week. So the the Titans should walk all over them and the the Jets should end up with like 30 offensive plays because they just never have the ball. This feels like a nice time to reveal that one of the parlays I already have is straight money line, three-teamer, Kansas City, Tennessee, and Cincinnati. Now, like I said, I don't love Cincinnati, but the way I see it, Tennessee and Kansas City are no doubters. They're 90% wins. So I'm adding in Tennessee that I think is about a 50%. I've got plus 120 odds on a bet that I think is about a 45-50% bet. Is it my favorite parlay ever? No. But if I just do Tennessee and the Chiefs, it's like minus 220. And that's just not very fun. Yeah, it's not worth it at that point. And I feel like the Bengals against the Jags, even, you know, your Thursday night games that can get weird. And who knows, because the Bengals aren't a great team. They're still playing the Jags at home and they're way better. You should be fine. It's also a game that you can easily uh, hedge out of. If you if you're watching that game and you think, oh, fuck, the Bengals might not do this. You have the Bengals at plus 120. So I like it because the game I feel least confident about is a standalone game that I can watch very easily in which the team that I have money on is massively favorited. So in the end, I can get out of it because I feel like if the if the Jaguars come out flying and they're up by seven in the first half, I'm still going to get even odds on them winning the game outright. I'll be able to hedge out and go flat. Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's one that that's a nice part of Thursday night games is that you can get out of it. and You have so many games coming up that you can pair if you need to. With that said, you ready to move on to the next game? Let's do it. All right, we have the Washington football team going to play the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are plus one and a half. This game is just going to suck. Um, yeah, I liked the Falcons coming into the season. I thought they could be something. But Arthur Smith is impotent. Matt Ryan is depressingly old looking. They beat the Giants. It was a terrible game. I will say, Atlanta's defense is coming up. It is getting better. Like, the secondary looks better. Playing against Daniel Jones helps your secondary look better. I understand. However, Washington's secondary looked terrible against Daniel Jones because low-key Washington has a bottom, definitely bottom 10, maybe bottom five defense. They can't stop anybody from passing. And it's not that they're having trouble, like, allowing the deep ball, busting coverages, yada, yada. They're having trouble with the easiest thing, which is 10-yard curls. They cannot stop 10-yard quick patterns. And Atlanta, at least in theory, should be able to run train on those quick patterns. However, I don't want to bet on Atlanta. And therefore, I will not bet. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think Washington's probably might be getting a little undervalued right now just because they've looked bad. But also, they might just be that bad. 
So I don't like them. I don't want to bet on them. You're right. You've been calling their defenses overrated, and we've seen that. They've been giving up points to bad teams. They made Daniel Jones look great. So I don't like them. Taylor Heineke is a lot of fun, and he can do some exciting stuff, but I don't trust him to run an offense against anyone, even if I don't love Atlanta's defense. Them coming on makes them maybe average, but still, I don't like Heineke in general. And Atlanta, yeah, their offense is pretty impotent, and Matt Ryan hasn't looked great, but they should be able to exploit some weaknesses between with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And Arthur Smith, while impotent, does know how to call a good quick game. I mean, it is what they did a lot in Tennessee, and he has those those pieces there. But I don't want to bet on Atlanta. They're not a good team. They're not a, a team that I feel good about ever as winning or pulling a game out. So I don't want to bet on them, and I'm going to stay away from this game as well. Yeah, this early slate is painful. But, see, I am high on Taylor Heineke, at least relative to you. I think he can start in this league. Not great, but... I think he can start, but I also think that eventually Arthur Smith is going to figure out how to use Matt Ryan or what's left of him to score some points, and that the Washington defense is so bad that they will score some points. So I have both offenses relative to the opposing defense pretty fucking similar, and I have both defenses as not reliable at all. So it's frustrating, but once again, I think I'm going to have to pass. Yeah, same boat. Let's move on to the next game. Late slate. We have the New York Giants going to play the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are minus seven and a half. I wish it was the late slate because this game is fucking a mess all over. It's white Jameis versus black Jameis. It is incompetent Joe Judge versus whatever is left of the Saints head coaching staff. The Saints are finally home for the first time in a month, which you figure might be a nice thing because like, holy shit, they're finally, they don't have to live out of a hotel. They can sleep in their beds. But typically in these kinds of scenarios, you see teams, at least for the last five years in the NFL, when they come home from a long road trip, they actually tend to play a little worse than you would expect, simply because they're finally home and they relax and they start handling their lives again. Um, I like the Saints a lot. And while I wish I bet more on them against the Patriots, I didn't love what I saw from them. I think the Patriots are just that bad. And whereas the Patriots are terrible and have no upside, the Giants are terrible and Look like they could be good sometimes. I've seen one game all season, but I'll be, you know, still, I saw a game where the Giants looked legitimately good against the former Redskins. I have not seen the Patriots play any game that impressed me, even one iota. At no point during any Patriots game have I said, ah, shit, they might have something here. So I lean to the Saints. They might be a good leg, but I don't want to turn Jameis Winston's New Orleans Saints into an anchor they're just not consistent enough to be an anchor yeah I would use them as a a leg tease them down and put them in something but seven and a half is a a big number for a team that I don't love offensively they still don't have great playmakers and while Jameis has been able to get it done he hasn't looked great he's looked fine and Teron Armstead is out now so I worry, you know, you, you might get under a little bit more pressure, which will force some of the those good old Jameis run around and chuck a ball into triple coverage plays. The Giants, so they're not good. I mean, they're 0-3, and they haven't, you know, they look solid against Washington, but they still lost to Washington, who we don't like. So they're they're not a team that I like or am going to bet on. 
that's where I like New Orleans if I would tease them down, but still over a touchdown for a team that I don't love. And the Giants can do some stuff. They do have some playmakers, and Daniel Jones can have games where he's awesome. I mean, he 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 hits his stride sometimes and really can make some throws and he runs really well. So they might be able to put up some points and you know sneak a backdoor in with seven and a half. So yeah, I I like them to tease him down. I don't love it for the reasons you listed of their offense doesn't wildly impress me, but I still like that defense a lot with uh, Lattimore back, Paulson Adebo playing well, and that defensive line, they can make Daniel Jones do a lot of stupid stuff. And then Jameis, again, doesn't really need to look that good. He just has to not be horrible, and they're still going to win that game. See, that's the thing, though, is I just don't want to use – Jameis, no matter what happens, there'll be two to three times a game where he just creates a turnover out of thin air, or at least a turnover worthy play, because he feels like it. And he's Jameis. He's the king of chaos. Additionally, Daniel Jones is addicted to fumbling. And this Saints defensive line is only going to make it easier for him to do that. He's addicted to throwing interceptions at inopportune times. And this Saints secondary now with Roby, Lattimore, and a fully healthy safety core is going to help him throw those picks. So I'm not using such a high variance turnover prone game in any parlay. I'm just not touching this game. I may watch it. What I'm hoping to see is I'm hoping to see Jameis put together an efficient, clean, crisp game, in which case I will once again truly believe in the Saints and put them up in that top five, top 10 air. Yeah, that's fair. I I like them a little more just because that defense is so strong that I don't think they're going to allow much for the Giants. But I agree with you. The the variance from Jameis and just the, the ability to break games with his turnover plays does scare me. And yeah, probably just stay away until we have a little bit more on Jameis and that Saints offense. All right, for our next game, the first of the late slate. We have the Arizona Cardinals going to play the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are minus four and a half. All right. The late slate is going to be a little bit more fun because right off the bat here, I like LA. I usually don't like numbers as high. Give it to me. Give me the minus six. Four and a half. It was six yesterday. It's four and a half today. Oh my God. I wrote, I checked this one yesterday because I wanted it so bad. Four and a half. And it's not even juiced. This is going to settle around four. Okay. No, I like I like this one a lot. I liked it yesterday when I saw it was six. And when I just read it off to you, I looked at my notebook that I had written everything down yesterday and went, oh my goodness, this line has dropped one and a half since yesterday. Um. Okay, so here's all I got here. It's going to come down to playing this line. Like, okay, very quickly, we can go over the game matchup. Uh, the Rams are the best team in the NFL. They have probably the second best quarterback in the NFL, as I've been saying for years, in Matt Stafford. And they've got a top five coach at the very worst. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I don't think anyone will disagree with you there. Their defense is solid to good. And that's all I need. Meanwhile, Arizona, um, I'm throwing that week one game against Tennessee out because neither team has looked that way since at all. Arizona was extremely lucky to beat Minnesota, who we've already just kind of panned as not a very good team every single fucking week. And they... I mean, they outplayed Jacksonville, but most college football teams should outplay Jacksonville. They really mishandled that game. And while, you know, okay, it could have been a look-ahead game. They flew across the country. There was the special teams touchdown. Arizona didn't look good. Kyler didn't look good. 
and the Rams are just going to fuck them up. I know it. The current, currently, the sharp money is all on the Cardinals. I think this line could even move down further. Yeah, I mean, I would love for it to drop a little bit more. Just simply, you know, division games I always expect to be close, especially when you have an explosive offense that Arizona does. And I don't really trust many people on the Rams defense to be able to run around with Kyler. Be, just because they're, you know, they're not a team that has a bunch of athletic dudes in the defense. They're more just a smart defense. Obviously, you have Jalen Ramsey, but he's going to be running around with more important responsibilities with DeAndre Hopkins and uh, A.J. Green or Rondale Moore, whatever they have him doing, that you can't just have him running around with Kyler. So it's going to depend on them being able to contain him and keep some of those crazy backyard football plays from happening. But you're exactly right. The Rams are right now the best team in football. They just worked the Bucks, who, you know, won the Super Bowl last year and brought everyone back and are, by all accounts, an incredible team. They've looked good against everyone they've played. Arizona, on the other hand, they looked really good week one. But other than that, it was a, you know, a, a missed kick that gave them the win in week two. And then a game that they needed a pick six in the fourth quarter to kind of give them a win over the team that may be the worst in the league and the Jags. So while the Rams have decidedly won every game, the Cardinals have more like kind of squeaked some of these out and yeah, just purely matchup. You have a better quarterback with the Rams. You have better playmakers. You have a better coach. The, you know, the D line for the Cardinals is better, but the Cardinals don't have anyone that can cover their linebackers are fine. The Rams are a better team pretty much everywhere, but the, but the D line, and even with it being an in-division game, I'm okay with a few more points just because the Rams are a lot better. I, I love this game. And after I'm about to do something I don't love to do, but I'm going to give a free ad to pregame.com. I use them to kind of track lines in action. I think this line is going to move back to minus five at the least. So I, I, I really think that minus four and a half is the best we're going to get here. I just took it. I put a unit on the Rams minus four and a half at minus 110 odds thousand dollars down done did it um i do feel like a fucking asshat though because yesterday before this line moved i did include the rams in a parlay money line so i lost out on 30 cents there yeah that's a little disappointing but you still got them in it's still uh still a good bet and them in the parlay yeah you might not make quite as much but you're still gonna win or should win next game Definitely. So now we have the Seattle Seahawks going to play the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers are minus three. Keeping it in the division. So this is a battle of two teams that we think are kind of all hype. I want to go Seahawks again. But the problem is all the 49ers have to do is say, oh, word, cover three. And the, the, nope. the, the 49ers run cover three anyway. Yeah. And also the 49ers with it being a division game, they're familiar with the Seahawks. They play them all the time. They know what they like to do. So they're probably not going to have that adjustment period where the Seahawks even get the first half to go burn you with three streak touchdowns. And yeah, I don't like anyone to cover on the 49ers, but with DK and Lockett, they're not going to be 100%. And if you do play that, you know, shell cover three, you're going to be able to take away what they're best at. And then it's, can the Seahawks create outside of that? And the 49ers D line is going to shut down that stretch play they run and put a lot of pressure on Russ to then go away from what he's comfortable with under pressure. 
and you might get a couple, uh, you know, interceptions or just mistakes that he makes because of that. I don't love the 49ers offense, just like I don't love the Seahawks defense. I think that's kind of just two below average groups going at it. But the I like incredibly the movable force versus the unstartable object. Yeah. And so I like the the 49ers more than I like the Seahawks, just because I think they'll they'll know how to play them and are at least on the D line well set up to kind of force Russ into mistakes and shut down the run game. But you don't really know what you're gonna get with Seattle. They might go and hit those heavy hitter big plays and the 49ers no matter what scheme they have they just don't have the talent to keep up with dk metcalf and Lockett. well Lockett's done oh he's done if he's playing in this fucking game i'll be a fucking monkey's uncle because i i thought he broke his fucking leg yeah we'll have to i i haven't looked um because i was watching that game and he he came off and they were talking to him and he was out of the tent and everything so i don't know we'll have to go look at that then either way though I don't, I just don't love this game. There are too many ways it can go. I would lean San Francisco just because they're home. And I think they have a little bit on the coaching side that I like Shanahan more than Carroll and trust Shanahan to adjust, but it's a tough game. So according to sportingnews.com, Lockett is going to be questionable going into this week. Um, If he does play, he'll be significantly hampered. It's a knee injury, so he'll be slower. And that's his thing is he's just world-class speed. Um, if I had to bet, I guess he would play according to this, but even if he plays, he's not going to be great. And again, all you have to do is just put your safeties over the top. It's that fucking simple. And we're looking at this game is going to come down to, do you want the quarterback who's better, but extremely one dimensional, or do you want the coach who's better, but has nothing to work with? Yeah, and I, I err towards the coach just because the 49ers have proved they can create offense. I mean, the, the Packers' defense isn't elite, but they're a pretty solid defense. And they were still able to put up points against them. You know, the 49ers put up points the, the against the Lions. They didn't really put up points against the Eagles. But Shanahan has shown that between Juszczyk and their stable of running backs and Kittle, Debo Samuel and Ayuka were creating a little bit in that Packer game. So I think they can move the ball just by the the efficiency of the system, but I don't want to bet on it. I just don't, I don't want to bet on an offense that I don't like. I feel like betting on San Francisco in this game is effectively betting that Russell Wilson is the single most overrated quarterback in the NFL right now. And while I might say that, that feels like a risky bet. Like it feels like a bet that could blow up in your face. Because even if he is wildly overrated, there's always the chance that the 49ers are inept on defense and just either don't or can't take away the deep ball. So I guess we'll pass it, but we're getting low on games to bet on. We are, but well, we can, worst case, we can come back. All right, with the next game, we have the Baltimore Ravens going to play the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are minus one. I fucking love it. Give me Denver. Give me Denver minus one. I get the better defense and I think I get the better offense and the coaching is pretty similar in my book. First of all, I think that the Broncos will be able to contain Lamar just because they do have so many members of that secondary and Vic Fangio is a fucking genius. If I had to bet on anybody stopping Lamar, it's going to be Vic Fangio and Brandon Staley. We've got one of those guys. And I think he's got the perfect personnel to do it because Simmons is a great free safety. Who's got a lot of range. They have three corners, all of which can tackle and are big. 
They've got a good defensive line. They've got linebackers who move fairly well. The Ravens will not be able to throw. I promise you that. The Ravens will probably have a hard time running because it's a Vic Fangio defense. On the other side, they have one elite corner the Ravens do in Humphrey. He's great. He erases a lot of problems. He can only cover one guy. So you're going to have Cortland Sutton probably going to be open. You are going to have Tim Patrick. He will be open in the slot. It's just what he does. You're going to have George Fan. He will be open. You love calling him George Fan. His name's Noah Fan. Dude, fuck me. Why do I always call him George? I get him confused with Kittle. I don't know. I was trying to think of like, are there famous George fans out there? No, there's literally nothing. It's just Noah Fan. I call him George. I only call him George on this podcast. But anyway, Noah Fan will be open. George is going to have a great week. Yeah. George, George Noah Fant is going to have a fucking great week because the Ravens have nobody who can cover a tight end right now at all. Look at what Waller did to him. Look at what Hawkinson almost did to them. And that's with Goff. So, so I like Denver a lot. I know that they're hurt at wide receiver. I know KJ Hamler is done for the year. And trust me, that, that hurts my soul. But, oh shit, I just saw that the Broncos put Ronald Darby on IR. I didn't know that. Didn't they put him on IR like week one? I don't think he's played all year, man. Okay. Um, Darby played all of week one and he played well, but after that, IR. Didn't know that. Hasn't bitten him, so I guess it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of having Patrick Sertain as your third corner. Uh, it's actually hilarious because the Broncos have been absolutely ravaged by injuries at wide receiver, but they still have Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, and Deontay Spencer, along with Noah Fant and Albert. All I know about is that he's really fast, and that's nice. Uh, Noah Fant's actually really good. Cortland Sutton is a legitimate number one wide receiver, and Tim Patrick's a great slot. Deontay Spencer can move. They're going to move the ball. Yeah, you know, that's where I do worry is that they've been hit. Now Judy and Hamler are out. And when you have Marlon Humphrey, if in theory he just shuts down Cortland Sutton, now you're relying on Fant as your main guy, and then, you know, they they have solid playmakers between their backfield and the slot guys, but it's not a particularly scary offense. But yeah, it, the Ravens have one cornerback. They haven't really been able to get a pass rush going. Their defense is fine, but if you're throwing to people other than the guy covered by Marlon Humphrey, they're going to be able to produce. And I trust Teddy and Pat Shermer to be like, hey, Marlon Humphrey's over there. Let's throw to the other side. And they have enough, you know, between the smarts of Teddy and some of the speed they have with the existing playmakers that they should be able to move the ball. And yeah, I expect that Denver defense to suffocate Lamar. They're not going to be able to throw it all. And then they're going to be able to just clog and play contain and keep Lamar in. He's uh, he's going to break off runs. They're going to create because they he's just too good not to and too slippery not to make a few guys miss and bust off some big runs. But I don't think it's going to be enough to keep up with the uh, the ability of the Denver offense to kind of chug along. They're not going to be great, but they're going to be solid enough. And I trust Denver's defense to keep Lamar and Cohen check. That minus one's a good number. It's basically just a pick em here of who do you like. And I think Denver's in a good spot. They're playing in Denver. They've got the better defense and the more versatile offense. Yeah, if I was getting Denver with Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler healthy, this is a two-unit bet easily. I, I fucking jacked this bet up. But even as it stands, I think that the Broncos might have the better wide receivers in this game anyway, and they definitely have the better defense, and they definitely have the better passer. 
and the running game is going to be pretty comparable. So one unit on Denver. That is our third bet for the Super Contest. All right. For our next game, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers going to play the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are minus seven. Talk about another drop-dead leg. Green Bay wins this game every time. Yes. Honestly, I kind of like Green Bay even at seven. I I mean, the the Steelers just got embarrassed by the Cincinnati Bengals, who are an average team at best. Yeah. And the Packers, while they're, you know, they have a couple issues, they're going to be able to absolutely feast on that defense. Your only worry is if TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith both play and are healthy. You And with the current line situation in Green Bay, you might be getting the ball out really quick. But Matt LaFleur is great at just dump the ball off in half a second. And Aaron Rodgers is smart enough to do that. They have the playmakers too. And the Steelers can't cover that many guys. They don't have really anyone that can cover Devontae. And they definitely don't have people that then, if Joe Hayden's covering Devontae, that can run with MVS or Lazard. I'm actually really glad you brought up the offensive line because going into last week, a lot of people were worried about the Green Bay offensive line. And I went through it, and basically all that's different is that their left tackle is a nobody that nobody's ever heard of. And he didn't play great against the 49ers, but he played slightly below average. And against that defensive line, that's pretty fucking good. And generally in that game, Green Bay won on offense by winning the line of scrimmage. They beat a defensive line in San Francisco that is supposed to be special. They just, San Francisco couldn't get push. They couldn't really stop the run and they weren't getting significant enough pressure on Rodgers. So I don't think that's really a problem. And to the extent it is, LaFleur loves keeping extra blockers in and he loves running the ball. And that will stifle a, I mean, even if TJ Watt plays, he's not going to be a hundred percent. So that I think that that's enough to stifle an incomplete version of TJ Watt. I don't think Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh can move the ball. I think that big Ben is sad. It's week three. And I don't, I'm like thinking of ways that they can get out of this season with him. They got 14 more games with this dude who we know should not be in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really bad over there right now. They're, their offensive line has not worked at all. They've been terrible. Najee, I mean, would he get like 19 targets last week? Because they can't even run the ball behind that line that they've reverted to. All right, well, we have to pass everything. And we're just going to do little screens and flares and whatever to kind of set that up. But even that isn't really working anymore. Uh, because Ben, he he's struggling to even do that between not being able to move and his arm having no zip anymore that he's just a, you know, a, a walking corpse at this point. Yeah. The Steelers have a few playmakers that I like between Najee, Claypool, Juju can do some things, but green Bay has really good corners. They're going to be able to put pressure on Ben. So they have to get the ball out quick and make some tough decisions. And I trust, Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes to cover Chase Claypool and Juju for two seconds. So I like the Packers. I think they're going to absolutely run the Steelers. I don't, I think this is us seeing the Steelers fall off. And this is just the beginning of things to come of their, a a team that is about to go through a really big rebuild and they're just not good this year. I don't know if I'm ready to bite on green Bay minus seven, but I'm very close. I'm I'm probably just going to bet a minus six and a half, like just tease it down a little bit just to give myself the peace of mind. And even if it, you know, cost me 30 cents, I might be okay with it. 
but they're definitely going to end up in a parlay that they'll, you know, I'll probably bet them down to two and a half and throw them in a parlay. Oh yeah. I already have them in one. That's already a done deal for me. Yeah. I mean, them, them in a field goal is an absolute no brainer. I would, that, that feeling, I like don't even need to watch that game. Them in a touchdown, I worry a little bit, but I just really don't think Pittsburgh's going to be able to move whatsoever. And their defense, you know, they're, they'll, they'll force some, some punts because they're going to get a few sacks and they they'll confuse the Rogers on a couple plays, but they're going to get three punts. You still have, you know, five other drives that I expect the Packers to score on. So I just don't think Pittsburgh's going to only keep up with them. I like green Bay. They're, they're a team that I really hate betting on green Bay. I don't like it. It makes me feel dirty, but luckily it can bet against them against the Steelers. And yeah, I mean, they, they're just a much, much better team than Pittsburgh. And this is the beginning of Pittsburgh's like true descent, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Pittsburgh is going to be, by the end of the year, I think Pittsburgh and Jacksonville are going to be duking it out for who gets to draft. I don't know, maybe Sam Howell, but uh, they're both fucked. So Sunday night. All right, let's do it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to play the New England Patriots. A little revenge game for Tom Brady. The Patriots are plus seven. This game has moved almost three points now. Because it used to, but last week it was Tampa Bay minus five, and it's crossing a key number or two, getting up to seven. So those two points are more like three. And I still like Tampa. And I'm hearing old heads and you know ancient sharps who are now square talk about how you know Belichick is still a genius and Tom Brady's great, but he's still old. I got really bad news for those people. Belichick is not a genius, and he hasn't been. And he's got his handpicked quarterback that he was high on. The dude fucking sucks. The Buccaneers' biggest weakness is their pass defense right now. I don't think Mac Jones can take advantage of it. And I know that Tom Brady's going to put up big-time stats in this game. He's going to pad that fucking book. I've already got a unit on Tampa. I think I'm going to stick with a unit. But I've also got them as a leg in a parlay. Yeah, I have, I have a unit on Tampa at minus seven. You know, I don't love the number, but everything you said, I don't. I don't think New England's particularly good as a team. Their their offense is super bad right now. And even with the hurt secondary you have in Tampa, they're going to be able to get pressure and Mac does not handle pressure well. They're going to be able to force him into mistakes. There's no real game planning I think they can do besides try and keep a bunch of guys in and hope one of the reserve corners for the Bucks messes up. But I don't really trust Mac Jones to do that. And when Tom Brady is on the other side, who I agree, I think he's going to put up crazy numbers. I think he's, no matter what he says publicly, I think he's still kind of upset about how everything went down there. And even though he won the Super Bowl last year and got some vindication, getting to go play against Bill and potentially embarrass the Patriots in New England has got to be something that he's licking his chops about um, with the way that they've put up points so far this year. I think that's there's no reason to think that won't continue and Tom's not going to keep throwing and you know getting four touchdowns a game I like Tampa Bay they're a much better team New England's struggling right now and I think coming to terms with the fact that hey this is what life is like with a rookie quarterback on a team that isn't great and they're they're going through that realization of all right we're rebuilding again yeah I mean what else is there to say I mean, we got a bad team versus a good team, a good team that just got embarrassed. I, I, I want to say more because this is such a big consequential game, but it's really not a, it's funny. We're all excited to watch it, but it's not going to be a good football game. It's a fun story. 
Tom Brady's going to hit 69 yards. Nice. Probably to Gronk and break the all-time passing record. And it's going to be so super duper cool. But other than that, this game's going to be a snooze fest in the second half. They better have yeah. a lot of Bill, Bill Belichick and uh, Tom Brady anecdotes to give us. Because otherwise, yikes. Yeah, I think it's going to be fun for the first half because it's going to be all the nostalgia and fanfare of Tom's back and all this. But when it's 28 to 7 at halftime, I think it's going to be uh, going to bed pretty early on a Sunday, not needing to stay up watching how the rest of this game turns out. Tampa's much better there. They have the the drive after losing last week. They have the drive of Tom coming back. They have the talent and New England they just have a lot going wrong for them and working against them right now. It's going to be a, a, a good game for Tom. All right, and with I'm... that said, and with that said, you want to go into the Monday night game, we can jump into the Las Vegas Raiders going to play the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are minus three and a half. It's actually very funny because the Los Angeles Chargers are going to have exclusively fans from San Diego at this game. And all of the Los Angelinos will be rooting for the Raiders. This game will be a Raiders home game. I'm like people like the Cowboys in LA quite a bit. I was at the Cowboys versus Chargers game. It was probably 65, 35 Cowboys fans to Chargers fans. This game is going to be 90 to 10. Driving around LA, even today, I saw a good dozen Raiders flags hanging off of cars. The Raiders are probably the most popular team in LA. People fucking love them. Additionally, so how do you additionally people from Oakland? that our Raiders fans are going to want to come down to LA because despite it being California, the Bay is cold and Los Angeles is always warm. So people in Northern California legitimately look at LA the way that normal Americans do, which is, ooh, sunny, warm, fun place to visit. There will be no home field advantage for the Chargers. It will be ridiculously loud in that stadium when the Chargers have the ball. I don't know how much that matters, maybe a point, so oh, maybe instead of being minus three and a half, this line should be minus one and a half. You know, you do one point each way. That said, moving from three and a half to one and a half is a big fucking deal to me. And the Chargers, though a good team, though a well-coached team, seem to live on the edge of blowing games. They're not good in the red zone. Justin Herbert does not make decisions fast enough yet in tight. And Brandon Staley seems to do something not quite intelligent every week, though I think he's a great coach. He's just, there's too many of these little mistakes. Yeah, I like the Chargers in general. I do think they might be set up for maybe a bit of a letdown game after, you know, huge emotional win against the Chiefs. They needed every second they had to play the entire game. It barely pulled it out. Huge division rival, kind of the boogeyman of the AFC the last few years. And now they have to go play the Raiders, who obviously still a division rival, but not quite on the same level, at least as of late. And the Raiders are playing really good football right now. I think they're getting a little bit lucky in how they're catching teams and just some of the balls are falling their way. But Derek Carr is playing well. I'm interested to see if it holds up because I feel like he goes through this often where he goes and has a six-week stretch where he's incredible. And then he goes back to being that kind of slightly above average quarterback. So we'll see with him, but they're hot right now. And while I like the Chargers, I think this week they, they might be a little behind it mentally, just coming off of the, the big win against the Chiefs. You're right on the, the Raiders are definitely going to have the home field advantage. 
I still like the Chargers as a better team because I think the Raiders are a bit fluky. I think they're uh, an above average team that things have just kind of fallen their way between injuries of teams they're playing against or, you know, they're, they just clutch up for a drive or two, which may be a pattern, but I think might also just be a little bit of luck. So I think the Raiders are a little overrated with that said at three and a half. I don't like the chargers that much. You know, they don't actually have the home field and the Raiders are, are coming in hot. So I'm probably going to stay away from this game or look to bet it live. Yeah, I think this is a great bet it live game, but, and it's going to be a fucking great game to watch. So, I mean, nobody's going to complain about that. Yeah, I'm super excited that we have a uh, another Monday night game that should be really close because we haven't had the best Monday night game so far. Granted, I am crushed that we finally get a game that should be incredibly exciting with good quarterback play. And this is the first week we don't get the Manning broadcast. <laughs> Because they've had to sit through watching like some some pretty bad QB play and some tough teams between, you know, the Lions and the Eagles. So getting to see them commentate on Derek Carr and John Gruden's offense and Justin Herbert blossoming, I think would have been a blast. But I am happy that we get a fun Monday night game and the live betting will be a lot easier since it's just one game to focus on. I'm just waiting for next year when Peyton Manning moves into the booth so that Joe Tessitore can do play-by-play and we can have a truly good Monday night broadcast again because I I can't do the Manning cast because it's not really enough about the game. And I can't do the regular cast because Dan Levy doesn't sound like he's telling me about a Monday night football game. He sounds like he's asking me if I want cheese on my burger. Yeah, Dan Levy's fine. I mean, I don't think he does a bad job. But, He's a dad grilling at a pool. Yeah, he he just doesn't provide all that much, you know. Like he he he's not gonna go, and it's not like when you had Booger in there where you're and Jason Witten where you're like, what is happening right now? This is terrible. But he he doesn't get you excited and into the game, and you're like, wow, I'm learning so much with this guy. Whereas I will give you the, the Manning broadcast can get super choppy and while i enjoy the guests they do take away from watching the game and the fun of the mannings breaking down plays so yeah if you got peyton into the booth that would be just incredible television but until then i love just having peyton and eli talk about football and just some of the stories they have so i enjoy the heck out of it and am upset we won't have them for this uh this very fun game next week all right so we're through the card And we currently have five super contest bets, which is our minimum threshold. And I think that I would like to keep it right there. We have Cleveland minus two. And I think that's going to be our best bet. I think that's a double unit play. You agree? Yeah, I agree. That's probably our safest one. We have the Rams minus four and a half. We have Denver minus one. We have Green Bay minus seven. And we have Tampa Bay minus seven. We're going heavy on the Bays, but not the Bay Area. We also like Kansas City first half. Are we going to stick with that? Are we going to put that out there? I get so fucking nervous with first half bets, but it it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I also get crazy nervous because who knows? I mean, the, the Chiefs might come out slow, tough, tough game for them last week, took a lot out of them. And so it might take them to the second half to really get going. But I mean, I bet on it. Even, you know, three and a half is a little bit weird of a number, but Kansas City is so much better. 
and I think they're coming in pissed off. And Philly, you know, they might be upset, but they're also coming off a Monday night game. And they're bad. They've had, yeah, they've had tough injuries, and they're just bad. They're not a good team. Um, they, okay. they have a few good players, but they're not a good team. So I'll, I'll bless this bet as kosher, and I think we'll call that uh, meeting adjourned. Wonderful. Another, uh, another fun week of looking at some football games. Feel good about some bets we have here. Might not, uh, might not be as wide of a betting range as last week was, but I think we got some good numbers and some good value. Yeah, our, 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 blah, 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 blah. our volume's down a little bit, but I like what we got. And I don't know about you, but I've got a few nice parlays coming up. Oh, I forgot my last parlay to, to toss in. Um, I have Rams, Packers, and Buccaneers all money line parlayed at plus 150 odds. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will be doing that bet in a few minutes. I'm yep. Shamelessly so I'm, stealing that from you. Yeah, no, please do. I might even, honestly, if I, if I were to go back and do it, I might even make Packers and Bucks like minus two, get a little extra vig or a little less vig, get a, get a little juicier of a number. Let's put it that way. But uh, I've got those. And then I'm thinking about working in some kind of a round Robin involving the Packers, Buccaneers and chiefs, just because I think those are the three most guaranteed bets that parlay is plus 208. So with that, I think it's time to close out this episode of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast, where we ask you, please listen, please subscribe, please tell your friends, but above all else, please bet on football games. Asta.